This is exactly right. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. And every week we talk about an episode of SVU, the true crime it's based on. And we talk to an incredible guest from the episode. And we're always killing it. I'll be honest. Um, every week, <laughs> I can't believe who we get to talk to. And um, it's really a good life. I do have an update uh, about FEO Schwartz from a friend. I know I said that FEO Schwartz. I have an update too. Does not exist. Is it that it exists? Is that no? Well, yeah. Somebody said it exists in like. It's at Rockefeller by the ice skating rink, um, but it's not the same company, and also it's in airports. (laughs) So that's my update. But it's not the same vibe as the big FAO Schwartz, like from big, you know? Yeah. You're not going to, I don't know. Is there a giant? I always imagine I liked the big stuffed animals, like the giant giraffes, mm-hmm. the giant like things that was somebody sent us a picture of the giant piano that they have at the Rockefeller center, but it wasn't. Yes. Not the same um, glory as the former one. So a few weeks ago, our episode taboo, where we talked about Holly Ashcraft, the girl who, you know, possibly murdered both of her two babies. Somebody goes, uh, you mentioned that her lawyer is like, I, I forget something Gregeros and, and that I guess was Scott Peterson's lawyer, huge connection that I missed. And also a couple of listeners hit us up that they looked her up. I don't know. You guys are looking up murderers all the time. And her LinkedIn has that she worked at the law firm for a while. So I wonder if the reason she got off is because she was fucking the lawyer, got a job at the law firm, had something going on with the lawyer. I don't know. It's just that's interesting. That's like Casey Anthony working at the law firm. What didn't she work at the law firm of the guy who defended her for a little while? Yeah, she was also sucking his dick, I think, for yeah. some, uh, case, yeah. some some hours. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just think that's wild. That- it is. I mean, the fact that you guys are recognizing lawyers names is um, why we appreciate you. <laughs> Yes. And when I, when I talked about the psychiatrist, I think, I think it was a psychiatrist or therapist that, um, Elliot Roger went to in real life. Somebody was like, Oh, do you mean the guy that came to Taylor Armstrong's kid's birthday party on real lives of Beverly on real housewives of Beverly Hills? And I was like, wow, these connections, our listeners are sleuths. I love it. Fucking sleuths. Speaking of, I mean, this was a while ago. Sorry, we didn't touch on it, but obviously the Zane, Gigi, Yolanda, do we even want to what touch is on that going or on? I, I just heard about this like two days ago. It was in my explore page, like TMZ. And I was like, what's going on? So, I mean, I don't know. They are keeping it pretty tight, but basically, um, I mean, also, and I was a Backstreet Boy girl like this, like, or Beyonce beehives, like people with fanatic youth pop fans, like you can't really go against them. So like, you can't really trust their opinion, but also I do think Yolanda has Munchausen's and lied and is um like a grifter and I don't trust her from Beverly Hills. So it's like, I don't really know what's going on. I just hope Gigi and the baby and everyone's okay. But basically like the rumor is uh, Yolanda came by to take the baby and do weird things with Zane, which I believe. What do you mean? Do weird things with Zane? I, like I said, these are the Zane fanatics. So like, I can't, 
You know, okay. But that like she came with like spiritual guidance people to like chant and do weird things. Oh, okay. And try to take the baby. And I guess he pushed her onto a table. But then like Jake Paul or whatever, who is an SVU alum, was like, oh, your respectful king punched your fucking mom, mom in, in the, the face. face. I saw that. So then I was like, Zane is punching people. And I guess he just shoved her onto a table. But he did plead guilty to like domestic violence stuff. Um, and he has had problems in the past with hard drugs. So, like, I don't know what's going on. It is pretty messy, but they've kept it under wraps quick. Are him and Gigi still together? No. And then immediately it was posted that they're not together anymore. Oh, okay. But I don't know if this caused the breakup or what. Okay. Suddenly we're the dish on E. Like, I don't know what yeah, happened to I don't us. Know what's I'm going so on. sorry we're E News all of a sudden, but <laughs> it was, you know, in New York. It's, um, it, this is an SVU case. If SV, you know, I bet there will be an SVU fucking Yolanda, Eric, Gigi for next year or even this season. You know, our babies work fast. Yeah. So that's exciting. And then I do have an update for um, SVU alum Cal Penn got uh, he came out and said that he's been like he got married to his partner of 11 years, kept that secret. So I don't know how people keep secrets like this. I know he was great. His episode is great. We got to If it's based on anything, I don't know if it is, but we got to do that one. I don't know. It's with Ming. It's my it's one of my favorites. So many twists and turns. It's so twisty. What else is going on, Lisa? Well, I'd like, okay, okay. So um, I was in West Nyack. Thanks for all the podcast people that came out. It was lovely to meet you. And at Union Hall in New York, um, there was a person dressed like a pickle. Uh Uh-huh. And she gave me weed. Hey. And so she gave me a joint. It was white with green little flowers. So shout out to the pickle. But so then I go downstairs and I'm like, guess what? This pickle brought me weed. And someone goes, is that what you guys call your fans? And I go, no, we do not call them the pickles. Imagine if we started calling our fans pickles. (laughs) I go, no, she's dressed like a pickle. It's clearly Halloween. Uh, (laughs) Can I can I make it kind of a creepy confession? What? I don't know why this is, but when we were growing up, my sister and I were taught to call our vaginas our pickle. Well, it's weird because I guess because it's more like of a, a penis. penis. Yeah. Yeah. And my brother's penises were their noodle. Noodles and pickles. We called it their noodle. I like if I was like giving my little brothers a bath, I'd be like, OK, dry off your like wash off your noodle or whatever. And like when I was a little, little kid, I remember calling my vagina a pickle. I use anatomical words with Rosie. Like Rosie will run around being like my vagina. The only thing that's not anatom- anatomical is she does say my booty about her butt. But yeah. So when you just set up with what if we called our fans pickles, that would be deeply problematic for me. <laughs> well, it's also weird because your mom was a doctor. I know. And that could have been my, something my dad implemented. Who knows? But like, it's also so weird because it's like not, I don't know. If you're somebody who also called your vagina pickle, please slide into my DMs and help me not feel weird. Um, <laughs> no, um, we also, our friend's child used to call um, her nipples nickels and then feed babies with her nickels. Yeah. And that was and by really used cute. to, you mean still does. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 I don't know. She's still breastfeeding with her Knicks. Um, so yeah, it is great to see people. Wes and I, you know, you're performing in a mall and sometimes they, people hate you. People were on mushrooms. People were screaming at me. So, you know, thanks for being patient when you come out. I'm sure it's, um, I'm sure it's weird. Cause you think I'm so cool listening to this. And then you're like, I guess we're in a mall with 25 people who hate this woman in a room for 400. Wow. Life is different. <laughs> Life is different than I imagined. <laughs> 
but I still have fun, but I do get embarrassed. So I'm like, these listeners are coming and then they're like, what's happening? These people hate her. (laughs) Well, sometimes like those small audiences in those big rooms are fun. Like when we just opened for Hannah Einbinder, it was like not even half full and we had a blast. Oh yeah. I'm always, even if half the crowd hates it, it's like, I'll do crowd work. I'll dance around for you guys. You know, everything's um, great, but it is sometimes I'm just like, I wonder if this is what the listeners anticipated or not, you know, (laughs) like do they anticipate? And this is what's weird. Like a Saturday night, you know, they do give away free tickets. I don't know who's there, but it's people that make me work so hard where I'm just like, why are you here? Why didn't you go to dinner? It's like, it's like they're sitting there being like, let's see what you got. And it's like, I would never go to a show like that. I just would never go to a show that I wasn't like, hell yeah, I'm going to a show. Like, that's usually my vibe. I've never gone to a show and been like, well, let's see what these motherfuckers do as I put a burger in my mouth. Well, that used to be the vibe at a lot of Williamsburg shows with like the hipsters. They would just like cross their arms and be like, let me like, I dare you to make me laugh. I dare you. And you'd be like, okay. And then, you know, challenge accepted yeah it's um, so weird oh i also but in you know i'm in in, in new york so <laughs> i run into my friend ricky velez he's with his wife and he's with a friend and a, another couple friend and the man of the couple is jeremy allen white from shameless and an svu alum and i embarrassed my friends for sure i did not keep it quiet i did not act cool i went I'm obsessed, bro. I'm obsessed. I'm like, I've seen you get out of your car in LA. And I'm like, that is a memory I've kept with me. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, I stopped watching shameless because his character is like a genius and so hot and so cool. And they let him go to college and then they got him kicked out of college. And I go, if you're not going to let lip graduate college, I'm done with your fucking show. And because of his character, (laughs) I was like too emotionally um, invested that I would go, I'm done with you. Shameless. I'm done with you. Fucking with lips education. What's his SVU? Yeah, so he's in Torch, but he's so cool. And then, you know, he has a beautiful wife and they're uh, we're all chatting. His wife was Annie on Broadway in the early 2000s. Really? Yeah. And then the Ricky and his wife, Julie, they started calling her 9-11 Annie because she was Annie during the 9-11, like during 9-11. Ah! <laughs> so they're like, wow, we're 9/11 friends with 9-11 Annie. 9/11 Annie. <laughs> that is so funny. I... Jared got me tickets to see Annie when it came back to Broadway, probably in like, yeah, the 2012, 2013. And I saw it in previews and it was not good. (laughs) It had not been, it was not previewed enough. And I love that musical. It was just like, nobody was that good. Like, and then I think later they got Jane Lynch in there as Miss Hannigan and it became like kind of fun, but it was not good when I saw it. No previews are wild. Cause you know, I would talk about this a lot, but hello Dolly with Bette Midler, like from the previews to when I saw her towards close, it was a different performance altogether. Yeah. Not night and day. She's a pro, but like, she was like, wait, what line is it? What the, also someone had a heart attack. So that ruined the show a little bit, but that's not Ah. anyone's fault. (laughs) (laughs) It's the fault of the, the the fucking ushers. Cause after the heart attack happened, there was a little break. So we all went to the bathroom and she goes, once the musical starts, you guys don't get let back in. I don't care if you're in line for the bathroom. If it starts, we're not letting you back in. So we're all like peeing in a rush. Other people are yelling at you to pee faster. Cause we're like, we can't get locked out, but it's also like, Bitch, this is unforeseen circumstances. Let us yeah. back into the show. Like, what do you want? Those ushers us? are they're serious. They take their jobs extremely seriously. They're very serious. Um, but yeah, I've just um 
I do love New York. Hopefully I don't cry next time I come home, but we'll see. <laughs> I do miss you. I do miss you. I do miss the kids. Please. Yeah, it's just, oh, I had a big moment, a milestone. I opened for two of my role models. That was fun. I just like it here. Yeah. I like walking in, um, along the streets in my trench pea coat. Running up and down the stairs. Well, follow New York. You can't beat it. You can't beat follow New York. And literally you're there for what has become because of global warming, the two week fall in New York. I mean, like in two weeks, there will be snow on the ground and it will be freezing. And like, but in that little pocket of like, cause I heard our, when our friend came to LA in October, she's like, it's still hot back home. Like, you know, like it's, you know, so you get that little pocket of New York fall. It's gorgeous. No, I every I understand. time I come home from New York, I'm like, I love it. I need to move back. It is my soul place. Like even my mom called me and goes, you are glowing. I can tell you really enjoy it there. And then every time Kara's like, but you know, and Kara gives <laughs> I'm like, the like, I'm like, as soon as it gets snowy there, you're going to fucking hate it. Let's talk to me at a January slog through wet black snow, bitch. No. And I'm running myself ragged. I mean, I have spots in the weekend that are at 1 a.m., 1 11, 15. I'm doing five shows a night. I'm just like in my element. What is, is, is yeah. that from Seinfeld? Oh no. From Big Lebowski. In my element? Am I my, I'm in my element. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't watch it. I bet this is another movie. I've seen the watch. Big Lebowski a hundred times. I can pretty much quote the whole movie and that's not. Oh, what, you're not in your you're, element. You're, you're out, out of your element, element Donnie. Donnie. You're yeah. out of your element. You're out of your element. <laughs> So the opposite is the quote. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, you haven't seen it. I literally am obsessed with the Big Lebowski. I know like everywhere. I want to love it more. Like, this is the thing. I know it's a cult classic because I love pulp. I like a lot. I like stuff. So I force myself to watch it over and over again to fall in love with it. And it's fine. I like it. I'll watch it on a plane. But like, I don't feel what. I want to feel for that movie. Yeah. I don't know. It was just like a time in my life where we were so obsessed with it. I watched it so much. Like my, I was on an intramural softball team and my fucking name was the dude. Like I just was like on the back of my shirt. Like I was just obsessed with it. And then like a few years ago when Jared and I were touring someplace, some city we were in, they were playing it on the big screen. So I got to like see it on the big screen and everybody was drinking white Russians. I just like love the movie, but did you go through a phase and drink white Russians? No. Okay. I can't do milk with my alcohol. Oh, also, um, there was um, uh, someone at my Union Hall show. She had beautiful tattoos. She was very, very cool. And she has a friend who did cocaine with Carisi. Whoa. So thank you for letting me know that. She waited a long time for me to come out of the room um, to tell me this information. So I feel very lucky about that. I love that. That's like, you know how bitch sesh that they have boots on the ground where people tell stories about housewives. We need boots on the ground. Like, have you done coke with a cast member? Has a cast member? Oh, we got another we got another piece of inside tip that we can't share. But I, I that was we got. Thank you for sending the inside tips. We fucking love them. We'll give a scoop. It is. a. It's um. we can't reveal it because it is a sexual thing with someone from SVU. And we're obviously not going to be spreading people's intimate business around. Yeah. But, but we're we happy. would love for you to spread their <laughs> intimate business into our DMs. So go and ahead. And if you have one that. of our phone numbers, I'll text it to you. <laughs> 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 it's not full morals. I'm acting moral, but I'll tell you <laughs> if I see you in person. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's start. get started. Let's get started. We've got a good one for you guys today. So today we're doing Witness, which is season 11, episode 16. And you might be thinking, wait, Witness, what is that? All you have to remember is Nardalee. 
And if you're a fan, <laughs> you know exactly what this is. Uh, this is the Nardley episode. Uh, very powerful twist turns. One of the best courtroom moments that rivals Whoopi Goldberg's, I would say. And, you know, we'll get into it. Okay. Did I did I hype it up too much, Kara? No, no. I think that's perfect. In fact, I was noticing um, watching it with subtitles on because we just have subtitles on all the time now because we have to watch TV quieter with children around. But like they spell Nardley wrong in the subtitles and it was making me crazy. So we spell it correctly because I just yes. sound it out. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm yeah. spelling it correctly. No, you're spelling it right, I think, because I looked up her name. And uh, anyway, go on. I'm excited. I love this episode. I mean, and there, and it's just there's fun. It's fun. It's sad. It's sexy. I'm just yeah. I yeah. You know how my feelings on Cabot right now. I've switched <laughs> from Danny and it's a hot right Cabot along. episode. It for sure is a top three Cabot episode. Um, and it opens on a woman screaming and you think, oh, no, is she being attacked? And a man says, stop struggling. So I immediately I'm like, ah, oh. but <laughs> it's worse than that. She is going into labor. So um, that also, <laughs> if you're a husband and your wife's going into labor, don't say stop struggling. It's a struggle. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a fucking struggle. <laughs> um, so she's going into labor and she's wearing purple again. SVU purple. What is it? <laughs> We got what to is get a it? costume person on here. Um, so he's like, stay calm. And she is pretty chill considering a baby's about to come out. And she is still the one that has to go. Don't forget the insurance card. So he's telling her to relax, but she's got to think of grabbing the insurance card because he's a <laughs> bozo, a bozo. There's a knock on the door and it's a woman named Lainey and she is like not subtle, very sexy, blonde, long hair, uh, sports bra, midriff wearing top. She looks like Britney Spears. She's holding her wrist and um, the birth lady's like, it's not a good time, honey. And she's like, no, my hand. And she like has a cut hand. The man's name is Daniel. And everyone's trying to be like, OK, we're going into labor. And then she reveals, screams, I've been raped, goes into Daniel's shoulder, cocooned in there. Something's inappropriate. <laughs> Something's yeah. inappropriate. Yeah. Um, but she's gonna hitch a ride to the hospital um to get her hand and a rape kit and we could tell that the like ma the the pregnant woman does not love laney and the way she's touching her husband unless this is a cousin it's uncomfortable so um we cut to benson um getting scooped from a medical professional at the hospital the woman's name is laney mccallan she's 24 it took 15 stitches to um close the cut on her hand but no nerve damage so that is good um and the nurse reveals that like Lainey was desperate for this couple not to leave her and was just like please no don't leave me and it's like we have to give birth to a baby <laughs> um, and then the nurse also said that Lainey said there's a boyfriend named Jason but the nurse keeps calling him hundreds of times and he refuses to answer the phone or return any messages and does not care Benson and Stabler go into the hospital room. Lainey wakes up and grabs Maloney's hand and is like Jason um <laughs> And it's like even better, baby. Uh, but Lainey's cell phone rings and it's Jason. So Benson answers and immediately identifies herself. She's like, hey, it's Detective Benson, yada, yada. And Jason, this boyfriend's like, I don't want to get involved. Leave me alone. And Stabler goes, oh, boyfriend of the year. So something's up. Uh, something's up that Jason doesn't want to help out Lainey. Benson's like... No, actually, he says they hooked up once and she's been calling him ever since. And I'd like to take a second to go into Benson's hair. It's very morning news reporter chic, smooth, <laughs> above the shoulder, heavy side bang with light face framing highlights. Now back to the hospital. <laughs> 
back to our regularly scheduled programming. And this is still, you know, we're before the credits. Okay. Um, so they look at her, they feel sad. And now the credits. So I guess I could have told you about the hair after the credit part, but basically she's sad. Everyone's sad. No one likes her. Everyone's annoyed. So, um, obviously I want to know more about the neighbors. I want to know what I want to know everything. They really have a lot. I mean, that's the whole point of the fucking cold open to want, leave us wanting more. So we're back after the credits and a walk in talk with the neighbor couple and the detectives in the hospital. And guess what? She's wearing a lavender robe. There is something to the purple. I don't know if you guys think I'm psycho, but why is she wearing a purple robe at the hospital? Kara, you've given birth twice. Are they handing out lavender robes? No. No, I forget. I think mine might have been. I'm getting confused between the place, the robe they give you at the mammogram place, which is a dusty rose and the thing that they give you at the doctor, which is like white with like a blue design on it. I think it's not cute. Not I don't cute. know if this one was cute. <laughs> it was cute. It was, you know, lavender is a color that reminds me of youth school dances, <laughs> you know, periwinkle. Yeah. So pregnant lady says, listen, I wanted to call 911, but Lainey insisted on coming with the cat in the cab with us. And the man's like, babe, she was raped. And she goes, oh, yeah, you always have to be her hero. So there's problems. Um, and now she says the body is too, the baby is too upset to leave the body. And I don't know if that's real. Or not, not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> so um basically the story they got from Lainey is she was leaving the gym from upstairs when a man pulled her into the stairwell wearing a ski mask so then the man goes well how did he get in that's really scary that could have been you and then the pregnant woman goes well i don't dress like a skank so it couldn't have been me so this Whoa, pregnant woman okay. is like fully you know shaming her for wearing a sports bra to the gym which is something that i do you know what i mean um and benson puts her in her place which is good like nothing excuses rape and you can dress as slutty as you want at all times and she's like no i know i know i'm just annoyed she's always borrowing my husband daniel kill the spider open this window so i would be annoyed as well i wait she so. also says something where she goes flip my mattress and he's like i never touched her mattress and then that just adds what caused me to say to my husband We've never flipped our mattress. Are you supposed to do that all the time? I don't know. I I always do it because there's always a problem and I have to flip it over. <laughs> you you are compelled to flip your mattress. You yeah. have to do it. Okay. I was like, I was wondering if it was like a thing that you're like, yeah, every year you flip your, every six months you flip your mattress. I'm like, I've never done well, it. Hannah, she flips her Hannah's mattress. Got her ready Hannah's got Google, no, I have never flipped my mattress, but Google says you should do it at least every three months. It distributes the fillings evenly, ensures each side of your mattress gets equal wear and prevents the mattress from dipping on one side. We've had our mattress for like 10 years and we fucking love it. I just never flip it or do anything with it. No, but this is good because I only sleep on one side and maybe I need to start flipping and flopping. Yeah. <laughs> rotating flipping and flopping yeah i think we taught um a lot sorry i got distracted <laughs> my mom my mom's had marilyn monroe calendars for decades and this one's beautiful she's beautiful okay so anyways flip your mattress <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i'll post i'll post it on the instagram but it's a beautiful photo um yeah i left the flipping of the mattress out because i didn't want to talk about it and i'm glad you did bring it up because now sorry we it was something i i was has been on my mind because i heard about it like a few months ago and was like is that a thing we're doing and this because well, i me of it. talk too much my notes are always too long so that was the one moment i go 
they don't need to know about the mattress. And of course, it's the one thing that we do need to know about <laughs> that like uh, went into your brain hard. Um, so they ask if they know if she's been getting unwanted attention from people. And they're like, oh, attention's a drug for her. She cannot get enough attention. And Daniel's like, can everyone give her a break? She's had a rough year and bad breakups and she's been fucking raped. Can we remember that? And the pregnant lady um, is like, people are always running away from her. Like everyone, no one wants to date her for long. She is a psychopath. Um, and then we cut to her screaming bastard and throwing her pink phone at the door as the detectives walk in. So we leave the pregnant people. Hopefully they had a nice, healthy baby um, and work on their marriage and trust issues. And um, then we meet this woman again, Lainey, flipping out. She's mad. She's yelling. She's mad at the detectives. The detectives are trying to get info. Oh, and that's something I was thinking about. We don't talk enough about like annoying victims. Like sometimes people are annoying, but you still have to be nice to them. Yeah. Like, I know she's annoying, but it doesn't mean she wasn't raped. It, right. I always get disappointed when SVU turns their back on the victim, too. You know, those are always kind of the hardest episodes for me mm -hmm. to watch. So we, um, you know, the detectives take her to the stairwell where it all went down and she's explaining the knife to her throat. He made her lie down on the steps. Um, the knife was huge. She remembers. And, you know, he was raping her. She said it was horrible. And he just kept pushing her. And she's like, I don't, you know, they need more info. She doesn't want the info. It's kind of, it is a frustrating back and forth situation, but we do learn that he had blue eyes with green in them and white eyelids. So that is helpful information. And then they enter the home and she's like, can you just search the apartment? I want to feel safe. And they keep asking her questions. We learn he has a pot belly. So that's cool. And then Stabler finds furry pink handcuffs in her sex drawer and wants to judge her. And it's like, leave her alone. Even Benson's like, she's 24 and single. Who cares? Yeah. She's allowed to have fuzzy handcuffs. Um, but yeah, she's not a perfect victim, as they say. But, you know, who is? And then when they ask her, like, how she got the cut, though, she said when the black woman pulled him off of her and Benson's like, there's an eyewitness. Even now, Benson's cracking. <laughs> She's like, you should have mentioned there's an eyewitness eight hours ago in the fucking hospital instead of talking about Jason. Um, so this woman punched this guy in the face and Lainey ran away. So now they have to find the, the witness, the attacker. But first, do they even trust her? They have to, like, learn to believe this woman, too. So we're back at the precinct. Um, Ice-T's there, Daddy Cragen, there's Munch, and they're all talking. And the whites do not believe her. And Ice is like, usually when people make up a black person, he's the bad guy. So I kind of, I believe her. <laughs> So they got to get to work. So we're talking to some building workers. We're get, I, I don't know if he's security or the super, whatever. He's working on the building. They're checking the cameras on the computer. And he says, this building was chill until Lainey moved in. Now, nothing but trouble. She's so annoying. She's always drunk, forgetting her keys, waking him up all night. And one time he didn't come to the door fast enough to let her in. And she threw the ash can through the window. <laughs> so I like her. She's chaotic, um, though. Come she's on. Chaotic. She's chaotic classic yeah but knowing my old personality maybe not now i would have moved her into my house and she would have been my best friend for two years you know what i mean <laughs> before an explosive breakup <laughs> yeah <laughs> before she like fucked someone i liked um you know asking him to flip her mattress and then i live <laughs> <laughs> but this is someone that i would have been drawn to um you know even three years ago 
but not anymore. So um, then the detectives are talking shit to the building worker and no one likes her. Um, and finally, he's like, no, you know, she's just high strung. She's just high strung. And so then he starts fully defending her. And it's like, every, you know, he, he probably wants to fuck. OK, <laughs> so they show Lainey photos of a bunch of people that they get through the security footage. And she knows everything about everyone. Love her. She likes she lives here. She's a bitch. She has this. That's that. Blah, blah, blah. She's rich. And then finally, she goes, actually, it could be this woman. So they start knocking on some doors. The scoop is this woman that Lainey recognized from the security camera photos is a health nurse in the building for somebody. So she does not live there, but she comes in often to help someone that lives there. And she opens the door. She has a, you know, an accent. Um, she has no interest in talking. She goes, I take care of Mr. Gleason. And he has an amazing Roseanne style quilt, um, which is cool. If you know, you know, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> He had a good quilt. So they're um, they're investigating the incident in the stairwell and she plays clueless and she's like, well, you have the wrong person. They know better, but she's done. She closes the door. So there was a now there's a commercial break. I believe the pause was very long. So we're back in the commotion of the precinct and BD Wong joins us um, and Cragen's like, OK, so is it rape or is it not? What's going on? Um, and then we find out the woman's name is Nardali Ula and do we talk about how she this actress has been in three other episodes of SVU? We have not yet, but um, she does. She is an extensive uh, resume. What has she played? So she first of all has been an episode that we've already covered. Um, the one where um, the one execution. Wow. Remember when Stabler lets that rapist call his like thinks he's calling the baby mama and then Brooklyn SVU comes in and goes, did you let a fucking rapist use your cell phone? That's yes. her. Wow. That's her. Okay. Yeah. She's also in a season one episode where she just plays a doctor who, who like examines a woman who's had like a pretty brutal rape. And then she plays the mother of a kid. Remember that episode where the teacher gets murdered and she's like this great teacher. And, and, and like, she plays the mother of this kid. Then she's like this kid, this, this woman turned my son's life around. So small parts, this is her big one, but this is her more like she ramped up to this one. Yeah, I actually was looking um, her up and she's played a nurse maybe 35 times. <laughs> she has been in so many different shows and she is a medical professional in more than half of them. It's really um, <laughs> wild. She's got nurse energy. Oh, and this actress's name is Saida Erica Ecolona. So uh, an SVU alum for sure. Yeah. And here she is, Nardali Eula. And her employer calls her a godsend. And there's, you know, like I said earlier, there's an accent. So Benson being the detective she is, she's like, maybe she's nervous to talk because of immigration stuff like that is a thing. And they're like, yeah, but she had no scratches. Was there actually a fight? But she, Benson's like, no, but she's the one that punched the shit out of the person. So why would she have any, you know, like she is the winner of that fight. Um, also, she's not a fame whore. Maybe that's why she doesn't want attention for this. Cragen's like, maybe this woman doesn't even exist. And it's just CSU found tons of prints, but nothing in the system. There's no blood. There's no calm. And then Stabler is like, maybe she cut her own hand for attention. And BD Wong gives us some insight. And he believes that she might have histrionic personality disorder. Um, and it's like, like cherry picked perfectly for this woman. Like she, it's really a wild set of 
symptoms, but it means that you have exaggerated emotions, sexually provocative behavior, attaches too much significance to relationships, excessive concern over physical appearance, and always has to be the center of attention. And Stabler goes, so a drama queen. And Huang goes, yeah, but like, so like more than that, you dumb cop pig. So uh, (laughs) that's the vibe where it's like, not just a drama queen, like, don't be sexist. She has a problem. So Benson gets a call during George's speech and it's perfect TV making. Like she answers and says Benson while George keeps talking. And it's just like a really amazing shot, I thought. Um, so the call is Delaney got collared. Um, she is harassing Jason at his apartment. So she got straight out of the hospital, straight to Jason's house. And they arrive at the scene and they're tape and Jason's taping all of it. And he's like, leave this, leave her alone. I don't even have to press charges. Get her the fuck away from me. I hate her. And she's like, why are you doing this to me? Um, and you know, it's just like some crazy street fighting and it's pretty exciting. So we go back to her apartment again and we uh, so it says her name is Lane. Have you been spelling Laney different in your head or no? I'm trying to think of how I thought her name was spelled. Yeah. So when they go to the apartment, it says L-A-I-N-I-E. And that's not how I've been spelling it in my head. Oh. E-Y for me. A-N-E-Y. But oh, whatever. Yeah. I would have thought it'd be L-A-N-I-E or something. No, I don't know. I, I guess if it's Elaine, E-L-A-I-N-E, then like you got to keep the A-I-E. And I don't know. <laughs> I it just well yeah it was just too much and I don't know if anyone's a huge fan of not another teen movie but her name is Lainey and it so <laughs> the apartment's West Seventeenth Street okay bitch um, <laughs> so Stabler's sitting down with her trying to be like it's one date like why are you so hyped on this guy and she goes no I've known him forever I've known him since summer camp she has proof of a photo of them from camp I'm sure you got excited seeing this summer camp action and she's like this motherfuckers tried to fuck me forever and then I gave him a shot and now he's turning on me and so now I'm back on Lainey's side you know what I mean like you knew what you were getting into. So basically, you know, they don't believe her. She's like, I swear it happened. What's going on? There's a back and forth. They're like, well, the witness said she wasn't there. And she goes, well, she's lying. I'm not lying. Why won't you believe me? And while the girls are talking, Stabler through the window catches a man across the street in the building with a telescope lens situation straight up staring into this apartment. And Stabler looks sexy as fuck in this shot. Um, So I forgive him for not believing the rape victim because he looks so good. And so... <laughs> Um, so they have to like, wait, but didn't she change in front of him at one point? And I was, I wrote that somewhere, but I don't see it. Yes. She like when they, as soon as they walk into the house, she like goes into her bedroom and is like, oh, so I have to get this off and just like takes her shirt off. In front of Stabler, which is something that I do. My old roommate said I have no respect for any of my friends. And I do like to get naked as soon as I get into the house. Um, So I understood it. But I don't know if I would take my top off in front of the detective. But I guess if it was Stabler, maybe. (laughs) I guess maybe. Um, It's just funny to think that Stabler would ever go for that. But yeah, I don't know. No, Stabler always has this look of um, like... Not even confusion, but when anyone tries to flirt with him, any of the perps or anyone he does, he never engages ever. And it's always this face of just like, all right. I don't know. I, I like the if you want to see him engage a little bit, you got to watch organized crime. He's engaging a little bit there. He's Kathy's dead. Kathy's dead. (laughs) 
Thank God. You know, I always say, <laughs> glad Kathy's dead. <laughs> I always say, good riddance, Kathy. <laughs> well, yeah, because the only time he kissed someone was fucking Danny Beck, and we hated her, or I hated yeah. her, so that wasn't, like, sexual to me. And anyway, okay, so we got, she did take her shirt off at one point. I don't know where it is, but it happened. So, you know, there's all this do not believe me. We see this guy, and so now we're going to go see who this guy with the telescope is. And as soon as he opens the door, it's like, this guy's guilty. Okay, this is him. <laughs> this is him. He has, I don't know if you can have a mullet if you're fully bald on top, but he has like a straightened Hillary Clinton vibe, but fully bald on top, bozo style, really long. It's, it is one of the grossest looking characters. It's we've truly ever. like, there's no way this man looks in the mirror and is like women like this. And he's, ma- the character's married. I don't understand how he doesn't have a wife. It's like, I actually will not fuck you while you look like this like it's crazy the long beard with the bows and a long bozo (laughs) yeah like it's just wild that you're like i'm gonna grow out my bozo because i can't grow anything out on top i I don't know i just can't well i'm actually really upset with svu because we don't see the wife and i would have liked to see the wife yeah (laughs) why don't we get to see her or meet her not even a framed photo of the wife it's annoying And then on top of all this, he's got a shiner around his eye. Okay, so he's been punched. This guy's between jobs. He looks pretty nervous as they enter because, you know, he's guilty of a crime. Um, But he said he ran into a door and that's how his eye is bruised. No one has run it. There needs to be a new lie. Unless you're short enough to hit the knob into your eye. How do you run into a door with your eye? Your forehead would stop it. No, your nose. (laughs) Yeah. I would come up with a better lie. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't get it. You know, we know you're lying. He lets Stabler, you know, look around the apartment, look at the telescope. We, you know, and the view is Lainey talking on the phone. So he fully sees Lainey. Um, They tell him they need his help on the case. And he heads straight to the precinct. And it's like, bro, you are guilty. Wait, you really think they need your expertise and they don't know that it's you. I, it's just so wild that he went to the precinct for me. So Munch is talking about someone taking someone to the opera to get favors, to get evidence tested faster. (laughs) LOL. It's like, I love the idea of Munch throwing his dick around to get evidence processed quicker. It's like, okay. (laughs) I know there's Munch heads out there. Don't come for me. I know there's people out there that think Munch is hot. I get it. <laughs> no, yeah, but I do like him just uh, using people uh, for evidence. Yeah. And the opera, I wonder what he wore. Okay. So Olivia and Munch go in to talk to Bozo Hare and they give him a cup of water and he immediately takes it. And like the thing is, they were talking and Craig and everyone ahead of time, like, we need the evidence, sweet talk him. And Benson just goes, you want water? And then he drinks it and then she takes it and she goes, how's that for sweet talk? It's like, I'm <laughs> Olivia Benson. I don't need tricks. I don't need anything. I look like this. Anyone will do whatever the fuck I say. Yeah. So ben- Benson and Munch, uh, Munson, Mun- I want to do a fun name for them. Men- They're not gonna- Munchson. <laughs> They're not together a lot. So this is kind of a treat. Bench. Bench, Bench, baby. So Bench is in there. They're doing a little good cop, bad cop. I hate what, you know, a little game, a little game, Um, whatever. So there's forensics and Benson's like, you know, 
the water cup's going to give us the DNA we need for the rape. And he goes, I never raped anyone and I wasn't in there. So nothing's going to happen. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, yeah, I know you think that because you're impotent and there's no come you like impotent little son of a bitch, but it doesn't matter. You left your marker and there's prints on the banister. So suddenly he's like, oh yeah, you're right. You, I was in that stairwell. So, um, she called him out for not being able to jizz, which I love. And then immediately is like, why are you cocky? You left finger. Like, they are doing a good job showing us how dumb criminals actually are. And maybe it's the system that's bad or whatnot. Like this guy's a fool. He's a fool. Yeah. He yeah. thought because he didn't jizz, there would be no evidence of him. Very stupid. So he just says like, I've been in the banister, but still kind of calm. And she goes, we also have a witness. So sorry about that. But we have uh, a witness and you are a violent rapist. And he says back that black bitch, which does not sound good coming out of his mouth in any way. No. Cause you could be like, damn, look at that cool black bitch. And that might be fun, <laughs> but that's not the way he was saying it. Right. <laughs> it was bad. You don't want to hear that coming out of his mouth. And so, um, he says, well, she misinterpreted everything. And it's like, well, you don't even know what she said. So how do you know she misinterpreted something? You don't even know what her point of view is. I mean, obviously she thinks you're a rapist. So Benson looks, um, so good. It's very, very distracting, but, um, so he actually then says, listen, I was in there, but it's because Lainey has been teasing me for months, putting on a show in front of her window and she wanted it. And I gave her exactly what she wanted. And that's how he thinks this is. And then he brings up Nardalee's, uh, you know, being illegal. And Benson goes, oh, yeah, that's what you threatened her with. Right. So you threatened her because she's illegal to not say what she saw and what what's going on here. So she's like, so you told her that you would turn her in? No. And he said, after she attacked me, she took off my mask and saw my face. Yeah, I had to because I don't need her gossiping. And then my wife would find out. And Benson Quick goes, find out that you're a rapist, married to a rapist. And I loved it. <laughs> and he goes, no, that I have like a cute 24 year old on the side. So but what's great is he's admitting to everything. So he's admitting that there was, you know, uh, penetration or whatever I can't say but like he's admitting to the rape basically um so the DA is gonna love a con you know they love a confession and she's like well if the sex was consensual why wear a mask and he says that Lainey wanted him to act out her rape fantasy bam she gets to arrest him and I love this moment and they get to add tampering with a witness to the rape charge for um intimidating Nardalee by like threatening to turn her in. But then they cut to Alex Cabot being mad about something. And it's like, they did so much. They found the witness. <laughs> they found the attacker. They have a confession. What they have the water cup evidence. What, what the fuck? These DAs, they never have enough. They never have enough. She's mad. They don't actually have the witness. And it's like, okay, but they are like, they have a confession and she's like, work faster. I only have five days. And it's like, oh my God. Okay. She's clearly scared. They're working on it. Jesus Christ. Jesus, Alex, it's too much. So they go where Nardalee worked and she's not there anymore. So another nurse and has taken over. The nurse that's taken over for her. Is, is it the woman from choreographed? Yes. It's yes! Geneva. It's Geneva. The stage manager from choreographed. 
I knew it, but I went on IMDb and I just like couldn't find her and I wasn't being patient enough. And I'm like, maybe I'm making this up and I'm so glad it was Geneva. Yeah, because this nurse I think is unnamed, but actually in her credits, she's listed as Rosie, I think. Rose or Rosie. And I was like, and I just clicked on her and was like, yep, there's Geneva, the woman who was um, hot for Benson and was like, you you busy? Like, remember, she was like hitting on Benson. <laughs> oh, I remember. And then we ended up in interviewing a different Geneva because I was like, what kind of name is Geneva? And then we met Geneva Carr. Yeah. So I, you know, SV is bringing a lot of Geneva's to my world. Who, who would have known? <laughs> But yeah, so Geneva is like, listen, I took her job now. She doesn't work anymore. Peace out. So Ice is just like, we need to get a subpoena to pick her up because she's in the wind. So Alex has to go work on that. So now we see the rapist and he's with his attorney, Roger Kressler, a.k.a. Ned Eisenberg. And he has accountant vibes. You know, the suits aren't that good. Like, you're guilty, but you can't afford the best lawyer. That's what I think Annette Eisenberg shows up for. Um, and the rapist is like, hey, why did my wife pay my bail? And the lawyer's like, um, she's not returning her calls. She's over you, bro. Ugh. So the wife finally caught on. No, thank you, Bozo. Um, if you're arrested for rape, it's the final straw because he's already unemployed. You know, like she doesn't need this in her life. So they all meet up in the courtroom lobby. And it's so it's like the rapist, Ned Eisenberg, Ice. We have Cabot. We're all in this lobby of the courtroom. And Lainey walks out and she's like, oh, I'm tired. Of she's very pheromone. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and she's in like a full negligee for court. I mean, she's like in a peekaboo lace number like camisole that's a little bit too sexual for court probably very sexual and alex goes i told you to dress good and she's like i thought this looked nice and this <laughs> is like you know like sunday school you dumb bitch but <laughs> um you know she she's not the brightest tool in the shed what is it uh the sharpest tool brightest color yeah i don't yeah. care brightest i hate bulb. all those sailing everyone is smart and unique in their own way so anyways, so then what sucks is the rapist goes, hi, Lainey, you're wearing that for me. And again, this sounds terrible out of his mouth. Like if I said, hey, Lainey, you wearing that outfit to show off, that would be fun, but not out of his mouth. So Ice is like, get that animal back in his cage, which is sexy. And I'm like, yeah, get him, Jade. And so she's like, wait, that's the guy that raped me because, you know, there was like a mask. And she's like, I told you he had a pot belly and he has this pot belly. And Cabot is being so mean to this rape victim it is truly and i i don't understand it she's like you look you're, you're dressed like a whore and i told you to sit in that room and she's like i'm in a lot of pain i need to go home and cabot's like shut the fuck up and tough it out it's 15 minutes in court and you have to do it and so yeah okay so then alex yells at some woman named monica in the lobby i guess alex is the most popular girl in court and knows everybody so monica gives the suit coat to laney so laney can look presentable in court She's on the stand. She's trying to talk. She's trying to tough it through, but she's not doing good. She passes out. She thinks she's having a heart attack. She falls off the chair. And now, Alex, do you feel bad yelling at this woman who's falling off a chair? So Benson meets Cabot at the hospital and they're chatting and they're being a little shady, but still concerned. And fuck, never saw this coming. She has staff MRSA. It's a drug resistant form of a flesh eating bacteria. The infection is in her chest cavity and you should call the relatives because she's about to die at any moment. And they were like, what? And Cabot goes, I was just with her and she was fine. And it's like, she wasn't fine. She told you she wasn't fine. She said she didn't feel good. What do you she fucking said she wasn't feeling good. 
And there's nothing they can do. She is about to die from the cut on her hand that got infected. Her her liver's done. Her kidneys are done. And they need to preserve her testimony. Which is so fucking scary. God. So they have to tape her final declaration on her on Alex's phone for court. So her dying declaration and Benson's like, I'm so sorry. Is there anyone I can call? And she says her parents are in India. No We're- explanation. Just my parents are in India. <laughs> Do you think it's a business trip? Do they live there? They're missionaries. They're trying to get as far away from her as possible because (laughs) she's so much to deal with. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so annoying. So um, it's the last chance to like speak up for herself. And the jury um, needs to hear your side of the story. And she goes, what's the point? I'm going to be dead. And Benson goes, your voice will be heard long after. And that's what she needed. So that gets her that, that gives her enough motivation to speak her piece. So she says, I'm dying because some lowlife loser cut my hand while he was raping me. Bummer. And we'll see more of the video later. This is a little tease to the a dying declaration tease. We'll get more after the commercial break. Okay, so <laughs> now we're back at um, a precinct or hospital. I don't know where the fuck we are, but we're talking about adding felony murder to the case. But Munch is against that. And he's like, she got the infection at the hospital. So how are you going to charge like someone, you know, like an intern didn't wash their hands is what ice thinks happens. So that's very scary to think about. You yeah. get a f- fucking infection there. So Stabler's like, whatever you need, I'll do whatever, whatever that means. <laughs> and they all like, you know, Alex Cabot goes, I need Nardoli. Find that witness. Even the dying declaration is still a he said, she said. We need it. So then Stabler is lucky and finds a cell phone that her old patient, the old man's daughter, gave her. Um, And so since it's her number and the daughter owns the phone, she can give consent and they don't need to do any court paperwork. So she still has the phone from this daughter and so she could be reachable at all times. So they're going to track this phone. Ice tracks the phone to a table where she's selling goods for her cousin and it's like authentic. Authentic African masks and tchotchkes. And Stabler and Ice are like, please help us. Please help us. You know, Natalie is trying to run away. She's like, oh, no, oh, no. And they are like telling her everything that's happening. She's like, I can't. I can't. I'm sorry. What happened to that girl? I did my part. I helped her. She got away. Like, I'm out. And Alex is like, you are the only chance she has. Please don't walk away from her. Like, you know, and she's like, I know that man said that he would deport you, but you're a material witness in a murder trial. I will protect you. And Natalie says, "Okay, you'll protect me here. But what if they said? me back you can't protect me there and alex goes nardley what are you scared of and nardley's a little pissed where it's like um have you heard of the congo and what happens there <laughs> like you're shocked at the world like you seem kind of smart and that you read the news in the mornings what's going on and nardley explains that hundreds of thousands of women have been raped and it's used as a weapon of war and it's so common that it is to be expected and alex asks that's what happened to you and then there's like orchestra sad string music for about 10 to 15 seconds longer than I've ever heard an instrumental emotional break before (laughs) and so you know that this is about to be um pretty heavy stuff they really set us up with the music um and so she begins to explain what happened five men came into her house they raped her and raped her daughter in front of her and her husband but then the husband just ran away Okay. Um, And it was just fucked up. And she like had to watch her five-year-old daughter be raped and look at her and cry for her mom as all these men raped her. So 
that's fucked up. And then it, her daughter died and it took six days for her to die. And Nardali is, you know, crying, of course. And then they did find her dumbass husband who, after the militia left, came back, did not care to save anyone in his family and actually cast her out because the shame of his wife being raped was too much for him to handle. So she just had to run into the forest because he couldn't hang out with his wife that he left behind that was raped by what the fuck is going on in the world. So she found a refugee camp, but then another group of bad pieces of shit ran in, dragged her back to camp. She's crying so hard at this point. And she's like, you know, she was raped again. They took her again. And it's just, it's a lot. And I'm sorry to go from such an emotional moment to this, but Cabot is now wearing a purple silk shirt. What the fuck? So we're at the bar, Cabot and Benson are talking and like, obviously, you know, talking about what happened. Cabot's filling Benson in and Benson goes, it might be cathartic to at least put one rapist away for her. Like, we'll see. She agreed to come. I hope she comes tomorrow. Um, And you could see Alex has been really touched by what just happened and wants to make sure that she can live in this country without constant fear of being sent back to the rape capital of the world. Um, And wildly rape is not grounds for asylum at all. Gender violence is not covered at all for asylum. Um, So then they agree that they can try to get her a U visa and that helps protect people that help them in the courts, whatever. So they're going to help her get a U visa. Okay, so we're, we're leaving the bar. That was the nightcap of the evening. We're a morning. We're at court. Alex Cabot's being so nice to Nardalee. Maybe she learned um, not to be a bitch after Lainey died in front of her um, as she videotaped it. So, you know, Nardalee's like, I just want to make sure I did a good job. Did I do good? And she's like, oh, you did good. You look so good. You did a great job. And she's like, and I'll testify at the trial. And then, uh-oh, while they're talking, we see ICE. Not T, not cop killer, but ICE immigration detention what's i stand for correctional enforcement immigration and collections i mean it's not good what does it mean u.s immigration and customs enforcement customs enforcement customs i like that it's like if you bring a pineapple from the dominican republic it's the same organization that's holding children captive it's like i don't get it Okay. Fruits and concentration camps. Only in America. Okay. (laughs) So Cabot is pissed that Nardalie is taken away. She's so scared. It's like, uh, you know, her worst nightmare being sent back to this place that she's been raped the whole time. Or just to sit in detention, to be honest, for just trying to help somebody. Um, So Cabot busts into some office pissed as fuck. And um, this guy's not answering any of the multiple subpoenas she has. Um, you know, there's like some middle management Sopranos looking guys giving her a hard time. He says he doesn't have enough time to deal with her. And Cabot's like, what the fuck? It's a trial. We need her. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I don't care. We're at war with who? With what? For what? Go Mm -hmm. fuck yourselves. So she um, has been dumped in Jersey. So at least Cabot knows where she is. And the guy then goes, and listen, just so you know, she's part of a terrorist group and she's married to a fucking terrorist. And Cabot responds with one of my favorite responses of all time. And she goes, are you mental? (laughs) Which I love. (laughs) And she goes, clearly this wasn't by choice. She was raped and tortured and was not a willing member of anything. She did not want to marry somebody. So she's just dealing with a bunch of dildo heads 
but I believe in Cabot and her tenacity. So Cabot goes and meets Nardali in a cell and there's a bunch of other women being detained there from different places. She's in a yellow jumpsuit and, um, you know, Nardali obviously is like, yeah, I was forced to marry this person because that's how they have full ownership over you because no one else will accept you if you were married to one of these lunatics. So it's truly like, even if you escape, nothing will help. And that's obvious. And I don't know why these ice people don't know. Um, she has made other friends in lockup and all of them have been there forever. And it's like, oh, no, I don't want to stay there. And then um, a guy comes in and is just like, damn, girl, you have friends in high places. This bitch gets to go home. And so Nardalee's like, whoa, I'm with I'm like VIP, like table service. So they get to leave. <laughs> So that's really exciting. It's amazing that Alex Cabot had favors, but I think SVU does a great job by showing that there are other women that are just going to be there indefinitely forever for no reason because there's a quote unquote war. <sighs> so we cut to court and they're showing the video of Lainey's dying declaration. And she said she's only had sex with three men in her entire life and that everyone thinks she's this like wild slut, but she's in love with all three of them. And so was Jason one of them? Also, if she was a slut and fucked everyone, also do not judge her, yeah. all of that. You guys know our points of view. <laughs> uh, but just in case you're new and you're just a fan of only this episode witness, um, we... <laughs> <laughs> need to let you know we are not we love slut shaming yeah we love <laughs> sluts um she says um i hate that the ma last man that touched me did it by force and that shoots the rapist right out of his chair and he screams that is total bullshit and it's like okay outburst jr relax <laughs> he also has like no proof like he has no text messages no like proof that this girl and him knew each other at all no, she he says she used to strip for me in front of her window. And it's like, yes, yeah, she could have been having a good time. I don't think she did it for you, you yeah. psycho. The defense hates the video. It's, you know, they they're like, we're on her side. <laughs> like We're on the dying declaration side. So Nardalie is then called to the witness stand. Alex is chatting with her and the defense gets really mad that she said she stopped a rape. And it's like, Ned, what are you even objecting to? We know that she stopped a rape. Like, this isn't semantics. I, I, I don't, he's I implying, yeah, we're here for a rape trial. That's, that's already implied. You know, I was just annoying, but you know, he's trying his best to make a living. Um, she said that she saw a man with a black mask on top of a girl holding, you know, her mouth down and a knife to her throat and she was crying. So she pulled him off of her and his cock was out and she, um, Lainey ran away screaming. And this is in line with everything that Lainey had said. Um, and he, he tried to cut Nardalee, but she punched him in the face and ran into the And she said once she like took the mask off of his face, she's seen him in the elevator all the time. And she knew exactly who he was. And Cabot's like, do you see how this man in court today? And there's like a really great line. And she goes, yes, over there with the cheap blue suit. Burn. So, I like that um, a lot. Um, so Ned's going to take a shot at our girl and we'll see how he does. And he's like, OK, so you two weren't friends. You're not girlfriends. You don't hang out. How did you know it wasn't a fantasy? And she goes, I know that girl was raped. And he goes, oh, are you a mind reader? 
And she's like, I've been raped and I've seen many women being raped and there's a dead look in the eye. And, you know, I know that dead look in the eye. And if you see it, I know what's going on. And basically they're all mad because the question is, are you a mind reader? And what condescending bullshit the judge is like, um, please answer the question. Are you a mind reader? And she has to go, no, I'm not a mind reader. And it's like, I, oh God, Ned enraging me. Mm. I mean, SVU did do a good job of turning us against defense attorneys and I'm friends with a defense attorney and she's an amazing person and like (laughs) helps parents get their children back, but whatever. So then he brings up her immigration status to like show that she's a liar. And again, I mean, we've seen this in other episodes too. It's like, you know, that people are desperate to come into this country because of stuff, but he keeps going hard on her. You're a liar. You're a terrorist. You married a terrorist, yada, yada, yada. She's like, it was a forced marriage and he raped me like the fuck. And I hate when the detective, I mean, I hate when the lawyers play dumb where it's like, you know, you're being a bad person. You know, you are not acting good. You know that she has been raped. You know what happens in the Congo. And then you're just like oh da, da, da. i mean it's a game it's a game it's yeah. a richard gear game and he tries to make her feel even worse by being like well everything you've been through so you just see rape everywhere don't you and the rapist looks smug like he's about to get away with something and then we have one of the most powerful scenes in svu history cabot gets back up there and starts talking to her about like oh you know why did you come to this country Nardali explains she escaped the sexual violence from the republic of congo and the men who raped me were fighting control of the minds that make your computers and telephones and you fucking dickheads there's an objection of relevance and Cabot's like, nah, you open the door. Okay. You, you wanted to question who she is as a person because of all of this stuff. So I get to, we get to have her side too. And so Alex asks her, do you see rape everywhere? And she responds slowly. It's like some of the best acting ever. And she's holding back tears and emotion and rage. And she's showing it through gritted teeth. And it's really a performance of a lifetime. And uh, she says, the women in my village were raped. The women in my militia camp were raped i was raped repeatedly by so many men i lost count they and this is fucked up they put i mean it's all fucked but they put their guns inside of me and one of them pulled the trigger she was in the hospital for a year and it left her incontinent so then she turns to the rapist and the lawyer and goes yes i have seen rape everywhere that is how i know that girl was raped and Alex says, thank you. And Nardali is just like holding back tears on the stand. Um, and the jury does reach a verdict and he is found guilty of rape. Go fuck yourself, bozo. Nardali can't even believe someone got punished. She's like, wait, what? <laughs> and so <laughs> she's pumped. She's they hug. She can't believe a rapist got in trouble. So I wonder what's going to happen next. Why isn't this over? OK, so we cut to Benson and Nardali talking and she lets her you know, they're having a nice conversation and they're really happy. And she gives her all this paperwork and a U visa and goes, this is your allowed permanent residency and you never have to go back there. And it's just a small token of thanks. And she gets all the papers and she's like, this is all I've ever wanted, but I got to go back. I got to go back to the Congo and I have to help the women there not suffer in silence and make changes. And I'm willing to risk my life because I I have to help people. And Nardali spills the beans a little that Alex Cabot is leaving town, too. And Benson's like, wait, what? And so Benson and Stabler stop Alex on the courtroom steps on a cold New York day. Peacoats are out. Turtlenecks are out. Mm. And she's like 
is it true? And she goes, yes, I just put in my papers. I'm taking a leave of absence. And she says she's taking a job with the International Criminal Court in a new task force that will prosecute crimes of sexual violence in places of conflict. And Benson says, oh, Nardley got to you. And without missing a beat, Alex goes, she inspired me. And there's a lot of nodding and Alex walks down the stairs and Benson and Stabler just stand waiting. And hopefully one day she will return. And she does. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's not the last of Alex Cabot. Um, Wow. Such a wild episode. A lot of twists. I mean, you just don't you don't see where that's going at the beginning. No. Well, enjoy some advertisements and then get ready for some. atrocities (laughs) okay um so witness as an episode was actually the second collaboration between svu and the enough project um the first episode was hell which was season 10 episode 17 which focuses on child soldiers in the uganda in uganda with the lord's resistance army um but this episode is the second one that they've done. So I actually read like a whole blog that Mariska Hargitay wrote with somebody else when this episode came out about helping women in the Congo, but I'll get into it. So, um, basically uh, this is all really fucking bleak. So just buckle up. I'm going to try to get through it pretty quickly and give you some pertinent information. Um, the democratic Republic of the Congo, the DRC, um, was originally called the rape capital of the world by Margot Wallstrom, who is a UN special representative on sexual violence and conflict. Um, and it's mostly referring to the Eastern part of the country. Um, there's a few specific provinces that it's talking about North Kivu, South Kivu and province Oriental. And it's often referred to as the most dangerous place in the world to be a woman or a girl. So not a great backdrop for anyone's life. Um, The DRC has a history of unrest and instability and sexual violence has always occurred in some uh, capacity in the DRC, but increased sexual violence coincided with these armed conflicts in the early 90s. So basically, they got their independence in 1960. 11 years later, in 1971, they got this president named Mobutu who renamed the country Zaire and ruled it like v- ruled it like as a very corrupt regime and sexual abuse was used as a method of torture. In 1994, if you know about the Rwandan genocide, that drove um, many uh, perpetrators of the genocide to the Congo to avoid prosecution. So a lot of bad people are like flooding into the Congo from Rwanda. Um, And this kicked off the first Congo War, which was 96 and 97. And that ended Mobutu's reign in 97. But then the first war led to the second Congo War, which was 98 to 2003. And then in 2006, the Congo finally had its first democratic democratically elected president joseph kabila but the violence has not stopped particularly against women the journal of the american medical association in 2010 said almost 40 percent of women in the eastern region of the drc reported being exposed to sexual violence i have a feeling that number is low because it seems like no woman could escape it in this region like i said the eastern region has the highest uh, rates of the sexual violence and much of it is perpetrated by armed militia groups so essentially what are they fighting about it's exactly what nardali said in the episode these groups are all fighting over roots and mines like control of mines and smuggling routes so um they basically make hundreds of millions of dollars each year by trading in four main minerals which are tin 
tantalum and tungsten, the three T's, as well as gold. So basically all these militias just fight each other so that they can trade these very, very uh, valuable minerals. Um, They are essential to production of cell phones, laptops, other electronics, obviously jewelry. Rape is how they terrorize local populations into compliance so that they can steal all this mineral wealth without any opposition. Um, These crimes destroy families, they decimate communities, and they lethally spread HIV and AIDS and other sexually transmitted diseases. It just gets so, so, so bleak, guys. Um, If you're into bleakness, this is the episode for you. Um, The United Nations includes rape, public rapes, sexual slavery, forced prostitution, forced pregnancy, gang rape, forced incest, sexual mutilation, disemboweling, genital mutilation, cannibalism, deliberate spread of HIV AIDS and forced sterilization as forms of sexual violence that occur in the DRC and are used as techniques in war against the civilian population. I don't know. There's all these categories of rape. I don't really know if we need to like get into it, but there's like punitive rape, status rape, ceremonial rape. Like there's forced marriages, like what happened to uh, Nardalee. There's exchange rape where it's kind of like used as a bargaining tool. Um, and survival rape is something um, that it was talked about that when these women would become involved with older men to just secure basic survival, just to get their needs met, like to get, you know, cause they would have to, they would just have no, no what way of getting anything or providing for their families. So um, they didn't really cu- touch on this in the Nardley episode, but like a lot of times it's not just about humiliating the female victim, but also her husband. Like they did rape this woman in front of her husband, but then he came back and what this is what happens traditionally. Um, it basically once raped, the victim traditionally sends a message to her husband to alert him about the event. And then he arms himself and searches for the rapist. Unfortunately, Natalie's husband was not the avenging angel type and was more like, you're embarrassing, get out of my life. Because it's, it is fact that most communities will stigmatize women and hold them accountable for their rapes. So, like, it's just horrible. Like, you get cast out of your family and, and uh, you have no way to survive, really. It so, just makes no sense. Yeah, it's, it's a lack of education a lot of times. Uh, you know, mm. it's like that's just what a lot of it is. It's like, just not there. I mean, there's we, they don't have women's rights like they do here. So when you're not well, seen not about, as a human, right. Oh, you're not seen as a human. You know, you're seen like, as a piece of property, I think. Yeah. I don't know, but you're right. Like, I don't know. Someone has a gun. I don't know how you're supposed to defend yourself. And like, so that five-year-olds brought shame to everybody and yeah. you have to kick her out. Not the guy. It's just, you're right. It's the lack of education, but yeah. It just it's 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 so sad to read about and and to talk about. But I feel like we have to we have to. So it is often used to, as a weapon against the man, but it's also used to humiliate and punish like rebellious, quote unquote, rebellious women um, for challenging what most of these militiamen view are these very specific ideas of femininity and masculinity, like who's in charge and who's not. Oh, yeah. And and just to touch back on survival sex really quickly, a lot of times that was with wealthy foreign soldiers and UN peacekeepers like that. They were turned to like they had to were forced to turn to them. Um, and then then when women would be having relationships with foreign soldiers and UN peacekeepers, that was emasculating these soldiers who were unable to live up to their societal roles. So that probably made them more mad. And then it's just this cycle of violence. A lot of rapes occurred in, in the Congo occur in public spaces, in the presence of witnesses, um, and permission to invade and rape a village is often given as a reward to armed groups uh, by their commanders. 
Um, the government army, the F-A-R-D-C, which is it's a the acronym is French, but um, is huge. And due to its size and capacity is one of the largest perpetrators of rape. And during times of war, mass rape can be seen as an effective way to, quote, feminize one's enemy by violating his woman, his nation and his homeland. Is this a, this is going to sound fucked up, but like, why aren't they raping all the guys there? There are. There is there is rape against men as well and boys. Well, that's upsetting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It is a it is a thing. And I'll get into it. In Do a they this, get kicked out? It's just not reported as much because of the mm. shame. Got it. Yeah. So um, I, it, there's this uh, paper that these women, that a woman named Maria Erickson Baz and Maria Stern wrote called Why Do Soldiers Rape Masculinity, Violence, and Sexuality in the Armed Forces in the Congo? And there's just this quote that said that um, the raping of women in this process seeks to destroy the very, quote, fabric of society as women are seen as the symbolic bearers of ethno-national identity because of their roles as biological, cultural, and social reproducers of society itself. So it's like, get the woman get the whole, like ruin the whole fabric of the community, essentially. Um, and it says that while, while a lot of the um, perpetrators have been military members and are militiamen that like they've been the main perpetrators, a lot of recent information has shown that sexual violence now is just pervasive in all parts of the, of the Congo. So now civilians are raping and it's just like, now it's just not always related to wartime conflict. It's just like a way of life there. And even though Congolese law criminalizes a lot of sexual violence, the laws are not really enforced and the government is criticized for not doing enough to stop it. Um, there's a ton of corruption involved because of money, because of these minerals and resources. And obviously people are just trying to get rich and fuck whoever they have to step on on the way. Article 444 of the Congo Family Code states that a wife owes her obedience to her husband. They are not permitted to say no. And if they do, men have the right to discipline their wives with beating, um, which is an act often referred to as tough love. Girls are forced in the Congo sometimes to have sex with their teachers at an alarming rate. And this has actually led to an epidemic of female on female rape. I read a whole article of this woman who was like in the like kidnapped by a militia of men and women. And they basically fought over who got to have her and the woman had her and they horrifically brutalized her. Um, so it's just horrible. And sexual violence is also perpetrated by minors, like child soldiers, like child soldiers will rape women for the following reasons. I read listening to a witch doctor's advice, drug use, long periods in the bush, gaining sexual experience, punishment, revenge, and as a weapon of war. So it's like for all these reasons, there's like young boys raping women. And obviously victims suffer from PTSD, depression, suicide, um, it also affects men like that get very traumatized by having to watch at gunpoint while their wives, daughters, sisters, mothers are uh, sexually assaulted. And then obviously there's all this stuff about how the psychological trauma has horrible effects on people, but there's really little mental health help for them there. Well, of um, course, yeah, that would be wild. All of this information. And then it's like, but the therapy in the Congo. <laughs> Ahead of yeah. ahead of all the nations. No, of yeah. course there's no therapy. Of course, there's no, yeah, there's very little mental health or even physical services. Like a lot of these women, it's like what happened to Nardali is real, like getting shot like in your sex organs. Like they're incontinent. They've been they've been raped to the point that then they get pregnant and their pregnancy harms them because of, of like infections and all kinds of things. So it's like it's just a fucking nightmare, is all I can say. 
Well, that's why, I mean, this is like not fully related, but that's why it bothers me when people think like they work hard and that's why they earn stuff or, or even like God got me here. And it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> like yeah. you are a product of where you are born. These people have no fucking shot. And so much horror is just so expe- accepted yeah. and expected. And it's, it's really horrific. And it, um, it's like, get over yourself. Jesus didn't pick you to live somewhere. You know, it's like, yeah, you're not special. You didn't work harder. You're not more talented. You were given a shot. And these people just have no shot of anything. Right. Right. Because Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the first one is like outside of, um, you know, like sleep, food, water. It's safety. It's safety mm-hmm. from your government and just having shelter. And these people don't have the most basic. Yeah. The most ba- they are unsafe. How yeah. do you focus on how to create a life for yourself when you are unsafe from birth? Right. It is beyond. Exactly. Oh. In fact, like. um. Yeah, I was just reading about it's a full cycle. It's like if you're if you're a raped woman, you're seen as impure. So you're abandoned by your husband. You have you cannot you basically cannot remarry or or get married if you were never married. Uh, Then if you aren't the victim of an honor killing from someone in your family, just killing you because you've brought shame and dishonor on the family, then you're cast out. You have no resources. You um, live in extreme poverty. You're unable to continue with schooling. You have no way to earn any wages or, and then a lot of times you have physical pain and injuries that have led from your abuse or your uh, pregnancy that is chronic and ongoing. And it's just like your life is a nightmare and it's a cycle of violence that just continues against these women forever. And it's horrible. But then there's this opposing viewpoint, which I'm just going to point out a lot of Congolese people on the ground and Congolese intellectuals and field-based interveners say that there are a lot of consequences of the armed conflicts in the Congo that deserve as much attention as sexual violence does, including killing, forced labor, child soldiers, and torture, and that all the attention to the rape in the DRC contributes to the proliferation of the widespread stereotype that the Congolese people are savage and barbaric. And it says that the international focus on the problem um, has led to negative consequences. It includes ignoring the violence of rape of men and boys. If we're focusing on women, we're not focusing on the rape of men and boys. I think Go we can just, oh, why can't we group them all into one? Why Go can't we group them all into all one pool of rape and violence? Yourself. It's kind of this thing of like, if you're only talking about male victims of assault and rape, only when we're talking about female victims, you ain't shit. That, that's a ploy. That is not real. Well, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And then like one one point that one of them made was like when you hype up the horrific instances of rape and and sexual violence, then it becomes almost like a bargaining chip for these really horrific warlords like in Lavangi in 2010, the Mai Mai Sheka gang raped 380 civilians. Partly because Sheikah was like, I want to get attention to my group. Like, let's just do a huge mass rape to get attention on me. Who but is like, it? I, I want to know who wrote that. Because to me, it's like, oh, so we shouldn't talk about rape against women because it makes the rapists want to rape, rape more. I know. I know. I Don't just talk it about I it was, horrific rapes yeah. because kids are all getting killed. It's like, go fuck yourself. Yeah, yeah. 
I just thought it was like a wild, it was a wild like counterpoint when I was doing this. This research doesn't and I was need like, a counterpoint. It yeah. doesn't need a counterpoint. And I think yeah. we should put the, whoever wrote this, we should put his information or her information on our Instagram and let's, e- let's email this person. What well, publication these are just people is this? From, these are just, this is, this is a mass opinion from comp people, intellectuals. Don't talk about the rape. It makes it, it makes us look bad. Some of us aren't What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, it's like, a, it's essentially, it's like a not all men hashtag. Because I I don't hearing everything you said, there was not one part of my soul that was like, oh, these barbaric Congo people like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was these are horrific people and there's people suffering in this region. There was not one part of me that was like, oh, these hillbillies. Oh, everybody from the Congo is a rapist. Right. I just I don't know. But you know what? I am uneducated. I don't know much of this. You're teaching me a lot. But this bothers me. Yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a bad bad counterpoint uh, but you know i like to bring this stuff up to get lisa revved up and i know you how to push those buttons <laughs> you knew didn't you <laughs> you knew the moment you said counterpoint yeah i was like <laughs> and um to play devil's advocate no um as i mentioned before the combo it's kind of sorry to oh. interrupt but it's this thing of like if you talk about feminist issues there's not a proverb, but I saw this online where it's like, if you talk about like feminist issues in the States, it's always like, well, you should feel so lucky. It's worse over here. And then you go to that place and it's like, oh, but at least we get to do this. Like it's not Saudi Arabia. It's not this place. And and it's like, no matter where you are in the world, there are people diminishing your cause to tell you that it's It's worse worse somewhere somewhere else. else. And that's what this feels like where it's like, because children are also being killed here, we can't talk about the rape. And it's like, no, this rape is bad and children are being raped and how, why, like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, no. It's, and the it's, trauma that happens, it's just like annoying to me. So it's like, oh, so these people should feel grateful because kids are getting killed or because it's worse somewhere else and there's acid being thrown at you. It's like, no matter what, it's like, yeah. uh, oh, shut up. It's worse somewhere else. And that bothers me And it's me also too. like, yeah, it's also like, yes, of course people are being murdered, but there's also something to the fact that this is like a horrific crime that's being perpetrated on people over and over and over again. And they're actually being forced to live with it. Like it's almost like the, how is that not, that's almost worse than murder to me. Like, yeah, because we constantly are learning on this program and through our research, how debilitating the effects of these crimes are to, um, a being. Yes. You're not going to be able to be quote unquote normal, you know, really these things fuck you up. Yeah. So essentially, like we said, like I said, the Congo uses, um, all of these minerals for cell phones, jewelry, and cars. And so basically companies can help affect change in this region by conducting supply chain due diligence and like basically making sure that their products, like the minerals that they're buying are coming from legitimate Congolese miners and not armed militia groups. And a lot of the shifting companies policies doing that was brought on by one consumer activism, like people demanding conflict-free diamonds, people demanding conflict-free, you know, like things that are made with conflict free minerals. And um, I was also brought on by the passage of the U.S. conflict minerals law, which was part of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act that I believe Elizabeth Warren had a lot to do with. Um, And that has contributed to some important improvements in Eastern Congo, but conflict gold and like support for Congolese mining is uh, are still huge issues that like need to be upheld. And so and that, um, then this is definitely not a unique point of view. I did not come up with this, but it's this thing of like, you know, 
Western world or what is it like colonialism, like ravaged this nation, demanding all these things and then being able to look down on these countries for then having all of this conflict and fucked up shit happening and being like, oh, we have to send missionaries. They just don't get. And it's like, no, we ruined it. Yes. We're I'm on my laptop right now and looking at my phone being like, I want to throw them in the ocean and get a landline and never partake in society ever fucking again. Walt, Walt, not Walt, is it Emerson? Who lived in the woods? <laughs> Walt Whitman? Well, yeah, was it Whitman? Two roads diverged in a wood? <laughs> no, that's someone else No, too. that's, who is that? <laughs> that's Jason or something? Stein, no, 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 no. Two roads diverged in a wood is Robert yeah, Frost. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking Jason from, you know, the crime earlier. <laughs> the boyfriend. <laughs> Jason. <laughs> Uh, he took the road that didn't have Laney on it. Okay. Um, so essentially the Congo's untapped resource wealth is massive. Like they have $24 trillion in untapped mineral deposits in this, in this nation. And so conflict, um, sorry. And so corruption is very well widespread, particularly in the copper, cobalt and oil sectors. Um, like that, that a democratically elected president, Joseph Kabila during his tenure up to $4 billion per year just went missing or was stolen due to the manipulation of mining contracts, budgets, and state assets. And this has been the same under like King Leopold, Belgian colonial authorities, Mobutu, like Kabila's father, whose name was Laurent Desire. Okay. I keep thinking um, of um, Camilla Cabello or whatever. And I'm like, is it the Havana singer's father? But I no, know it's not. I know it's not. <laughs> and it's not spelled the it's same. Kabila. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah. every time you say it, I'm like in Havana. No, no. <laughs> But like, essentially, this is like, no, even though he's a Democratic elected president or he was like, you know, it's just has a history of corruption, a history of hiding money and stealing money. And so like there's actually I don't know if you're going to be surprised or not, but there is a Simpsons episode that does cover this a little bit. Oh, my God. That is very surprising to me, actually. (laughs) (laughs) The Simpsons covers fucking everything. Wow. (laughs) But basically. Outside international corporations are responsible as well. Like they'll pay a hundred million dollars in bribes just so that they can come back like billions of dollars of mineral concessions. And the U S and Europe both have important roles to play in supporting peace, democracy, and accountability in this region. And who wrote that the U S PR department? No, they have important roles to play that they're not playing essentially like, Understood. you know, okay. I feel like they should be like, cause they, if we put more financial pressure on this region, like I think we could make strides, but it's like, I mean, yeah, we have people on the courts that are full on rapists. We had a former yeah. president with over 25, you know, just a f- fucking rapists everywhere. So yeah. I don't know if we're the country that's going to go fight rape somewhere else. Right. But financial pressure, targeted sanctions, anti-money laundering measures, all of these should be the goals to, like, enforce democratic change and transform the Congo away from its kleptocratic system. And um, I don't know. I shit just continues to fucking suck there. Like I this episode is from 11 years ago or 10 years ago. And I tried to Google and see like, Oh, have things gotten any better? I found an article from three weeks ago about the world health organization and the who, you know, they, some of their staff members were among 83 aid workers who sexually abused women and girls while tackling an Ebola outbreak in the DRC. So they're there to fucking help. These people are dealing with fucking Ebola and the people that are sent there to help them are sexually abusing them. So very, very Well, this isn't new. I just saw that, you know, in Haiti, there's some missionaries that have been taken 
hostage or whatever. Um, they were missionaries that had a known sexual abuser that was molesting Haitians and they kept sending him over there. And so it's like, yeah. I guess you got kidnapped. Go fuck yourselves. Yeah. I don't know. It's like weird. But when the people it, it reminds me of the gym, what happened with the gymnastics, when it's like the people that are paid to help and protect you and are coming, are they're the, also the one it's like you don't have anyone to turn to. It is. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Why do um, we do and this? And then so so basically, yeah, this whole who thing is so fucked up. It's between eight, 2018 and 2020. There's basically 50 local women reported sexual abuse. And it's well, like because probably I also look not look up to the World Health Organization, but it's like, well, I didn't realize they were an enemy. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they're doing good things in some places, too, but it's like fucking cops. Some cops are doing good things, but overall, a lot of bad things. And then to, you know, cap off this nightmare of nightmares, uh, there are literally witch hunts happening in the Congo. In September, eight women had reportedly been burned to death or lynched in three districts in southern Kivu just this past September for being witches. So I feel like they could use some education over there about how witches aren't real. But uh, in the meantime, I think we should just burn everything down to the ground. Um, but we do have a good I do have, I think, a good um, what would Sister Peg do if you are interested in helping? But, you know, this is that's it. That's all I have. It's just fucking terrible. And so props to Nardalie and Alex Cabot for going fictional people going to a very real place to hopefully I'm sure this episode did help shine a light on it, you know, for a lot of people, but it was 10 years ago and it doesn't seem like things have gotten much better, but whew. but we have a inspiring interview coming up and I'm very excited. Yeah, I think you know who it is. Okay, guys, you might recognize our guest today from shows like Scandal, Kevin Can Wait. AP Bio, The Haunting of Hill House, Better Call Saul. But listen, recently she's been on Bob Hart's Abishola as well. Yeah, she's got a lot of credits, but in my mind, she will always and forever be the one and only Nardalie Ula. Please enjoy our chat with Saida Erica Ecolona. Oh, we're so thrilled to have you. I mean, we don't even call this episode Witness. We call it Nardalie. It's always, <laughs> can, when can we get, uh, yeah, this is thrilling. And then I found out that you're friends with my friend, Lil Frex. Oh my gosh. Yes. She told me last week and I was like, <laughs> I, I love Lil Frex. I can't wait to watch this show. Um, so when we were obviously looking you up to stalk you and find out everything about you before talking to you, we saw that you originated this role of Mama Nadi in this play called Ruined that also takes place in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So is that how you got connected to this role for SVU or like how or was that like, could that be a crazy coincidence or like, what's the story behind that? Well, the play had um, we did it in Chicago in 2008, in the fall of 2008. And then um, from like. I was in it from February to May of 2009. And I think this episode, we shot it in 2000, later in 2009. I can't remember. But I think some of the producers had snit or word around town came about. And I, I auditioned for it. I auditioned for it. But wow. um, yeah, I think I, can't, I, I didn't get to meet writers. I wrote them a letter thanking them. Because I thought it was just so such a well-written episode, but I 
don't know what came first. I mean, I, I don't know if they had the idea first or if they saw uh -huh. Ruined and then they came up with this idea uh, for the script. But, you know, it all pretty much happened within like around a year of each other. Wow. And we uh, we saw that you were a dialect coach or are or have mm -hmm. been. Um, so was that accent in your wheelhouse and you kind of knew how to do it or? Oh, no, absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> I had done I had been in South Africa for six weeks while I was in graduate school. And that's how I learned the dialect. And so I picked it up and learned how to do it. And I've been a dialect coach for a few productions, uh, theater productions. But the Congolese dialect is very different. It's a bit more of a French base because, you know, French is the other one of the other languages that is spoken there by the colonizers. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we had a dialect coach who taught us all how to do the, uh, the Congolese dialect. Yeah. And for Narda Lee, I mean, you know, our podcast is like we we do research on the crime that it's based off of. So I did all the research on the Congo and it was like really, really hard stuff to digest yeah. and to process. And yeah, I guess we, we ask people all the time, like, how is it to like shake off that character after you leave set? But for you, it's like this is like two characters you've played that, you know, have this trauma from that region. And I was just wondering, how how do you like shake that off when you leave set? Well, because I had done it after I did Ruined, it took me a year after I finished doing Ruined in order to start letting Mamanati go. And then that took a year. So we shot this in the middle of that first year. So I, it wasn't, uh, Nardalee wasn't, uh, but Nardalee's, um, character was so different. You know, she came to America, she had a child, etc. So yeah, it took, it took a while, but you know, because I had been doing the play, I knew how to carve out living Saida's life. You know what I mean? Mm. Which included like weekly massages, Qigong massages in order to, for Saida to maintain her sanity. Mm. And also they, they were, you know, it's a wonderful set. It's a wonderful set. And Mariska, her, she, because I, I don't know how she does it. I really don't. Because there are the topics that they deal with um, and how deep it goes. I'm like, how, how is she able to walk around? And especially for now, what, 21 years? But then, you know, she created that uh, charity, The Joyful Heart. And I'm like, that is smart. The one way you help yourself get through it is by activism. Mm, for sure. You know, we just talked about how serious all this is and how hard that character probably was to play. But then that guy's wig was out of control. Was it hard not to laugh <laughs> at him? Eric? Yeah, he looks funny. I mean, the that guy, was a yeah. funny looking guy. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I was so into what I had to do. <laughs> yeah, you're like doing a full emotional monologue and we're like, the wig, tell us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you got a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with Cabot, you know, Benson, uh, Ice-T. I think, you know, he approaches you at the table, outside. You got interactions with all of them. Did you, any memorable stories or scenes from working with the cast? Yes. Uh, it was Stephanie's last episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she and I, um, we talked a lot. She's a lovely woman, very lovely woman. And this, this meant a lot to her um, and how her character 
left to do more better things. I had been in, that was my first time with her. I had been in a few other episodes of SVU, but I had always had scenes with uh, Chris and Mariska. And this might be too specific of a question, but I mean, that monologue in the courtroom is so powerful. I think about it all the time. And it, how many take, like, how was it like shooting that? I'll just keep it general. It's just such an amazing scene on the stand. Well, David Platt, the director, is one of my favorites. He, um, he's an actor's director. And I think I might've done it maybe three times. Mm. What David Platt, the director did is that everyone was quiet. It was a very quiet set uh, for the scene with the courtroom. Um, No one spoke unless they really had to. And in retrospect, I said, oh my God, that was really brilliant because um, of what I had to do. It helped me, you know, focus. And we did one take and the makeup artist came to do touch-ups and I was shaking and she was the only one who knew it. And I said, oh, my God, I can't stop shaking. And she goes, we can't see it. And I said, OK, OK. And then we did it a couple of more times. And then David came up and said, how do you feel? And I said, I feel good. I feel great. And he said, OK, I think we've got it. And that was it. For that scene, I discovered something else that I had to I, I kind of after they cut call cut, the emotions don't stop. So, you know. I like cried in my dressing room a little bit more, but you know, wow. Yeah. It's powerful stuff. It's very powerful. Cause you know, especially since it's happening, it was happening to real women and it's still happening to women. And you know, uh, that could have been me. So in the law and order universe, besides obviously the iconic Nardalie, you've played cops, doctors, nurses, and you know, they're never afraid to bring someone back. If you were to come back to SVU, what would you want to try? Would you want to do something different? Would you want to be like a cop again? Like what, what would you want to do? You know, um, that's a good question. I, I de- definitely, uh, before Nardoli, I played the, um, I can help. <laughs> like I have it written mm-hmm. on my forehead. Um, I would like to play, um, well in the law and order universe, I would like to play the person that did it. that committed the crime and um in the svu um i don't know the equivalent of someone who did it you you know um but you know it's 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 harder because those storylines are just wild you know what i mean but i want to i would want to be a person that was a bit devious and had a bit more of a complicated history And then if you were in New York and you needed help and uh, which detective do you wish would show up to help you out? Are you calling Benson, Stabler, Ice, Munch? Okay. (laughs) It depends on what it would be for, what, what what help I would need. If I need some muscle and if I just need to have a shorthand with somebody and say, yo, I need your help with such and such. And someone who would say I'm on it, I would get Stabler. I would just get him because okay. uh, if he, he would physically intimidate and he would also, you know, show compassion towards me. Benson, I would definitely get Benson for everything else. Like for the journey of it, I would get Benson for the immediate thing. Like, yo, I need you to go kick his ass. I would get Saber. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, or yo, come help me figure out this conflict. 
I would get saved. Look. Did you notice his butt when you were shooting now that it's so honey, famous? Honey, <laughs> honey, honey, that man, he has a good memory. And so the first time I was on it, the, you know, they were all new and figuring it out. We got along. It was great. All three of us. And then he would do this thing. He would just come and stand right in front of me and like, hello. And I was like, you know what? You're so damn fine. <laughs> and I actually saw him at a party with his wife and he came straight up to me, like in my face, like, how you doing? And I was like, uh, your wife is there. He's like, yeah, this is my wife. How you doing? I'm like, okay, <laughs> what's up? And gave him a hug. Um, yeah, he's fine. I love talking to her, even though oh my the internet really fucked us. The internet was tough. Yeah. So she sorry. had a little bit of a shaky connection, but we made it through and she had so many great tidbits to give us and we love her so much. She is amazing. And you guys can catch her in the new Amazon series, A League of Their Own, based on the iconic movie where um, Saida co-stars with Lisa's really good friend, Lil Frex. That's who we were talking about at the beginning of the interview. So check out A League of Their Own when it comes out. Yeah. And it's Star said it's like Darcy Carden, um, Abby from... Jacobson. Jacobson. It's like a who's who, Kate Berlant. It's really a who's who of female young comedic talent. And um uh, Oh, I didn't even know Kate was in it. That's awesome. Oh yeah. The list goes on and on of like cool ass bitches that are in this show. It's really exciting. And um yeah, they filmed like my friend was in Pittsburgh for four months. And I love a, you know, I love a baseball. I want to yeah. go to a batting cage. Truly. I would be obsessed with, I've always wanted to do that. I would love, I have actually pretty good eye-hand coordination and I would love to smack some fucking baseballs around. Let's do it. All right, we're putting it in the books. We'll live stream it. Don't worry. (laughs) What did we learn? That I guess you can get MRSA and die from a cut in your arm? Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. The post-mortem major takeaway is fucking get your wounds cleaned and cleaned out that is like really i know staph infections and stuff are really bad it's like bad to get one but like to have like a perfectly seemingly healthy woman just suddenly be on death's door all her organs have shut down and checked out of the building it's like wild so i guess just be careful but also i think the best thing is that nardalee saw something and said something even though she fucking got risked getting sent back to her murderous, rapey country. She stood up and helped another woman out who was being attacked. And I think that's um, awesome. It is awesome. Also, if you want someone to specifically dress a certain type of nice way, you have to let them know. We all have different definitions of what nice is. Okay. You know, some people it's tits out. So if you want a church look, you have to be more specific. Yeah. For sure. Also, the Congo sucks. The world's terrible. Yada, yada. Oh, I was on yeah. a fun podcast. Can I tell them? <laughs> I was uh-huh. on Are You Garbage? And you guys should check it out. I had a really funny time on it. Not on our network, but. We do love those guys. Um, Let's see. I mean, yeah, I guess also if you know somebody that has histrionic personality disorder, I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess I learned <laughs> that I learned that um, whatever bad personality you have, there's a disorder to excuse it. Like, that's just yeah. such a specific thing. Like all of the things BD Wong said were just so specifically her where it's like, wait, 
can I get a disorder too? That would be great. <laughs> like this bitch interrupts. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> this person interrupts. She catastrophizes everything immediately. She can't hang up her clothes. She has this disorder. You know, it's like she loves weed and the Simpsons. Yeah. This is a specific <laughs> disease. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's how I feel with histrionic, you know, not to be shady, obviously. Um, shit's going down. This is a classic episode. I feel like I like I think this is a perfect example of how SVU as a show like sort of tries to help personalize and contextualize, um, you know, modern day stuff that's going on in the real world, like at a larger level, not just like, oh, this is this one specific case we're taking on. Like they're taking on a huge like sort of epidemic of violence happening across the world and they're at least bringing some attention to it. So I do appreciate SVU for doing those kind of things. And I know that's kind of stuff is important to Mariska in her big heart. Um, oh, I also wanted to say some people wrote in about their um, ideas about why everyone's wearing purple all the damn time. And it is the color for domestic violence. It's also the color for royalty. I mean, yeah, it's like, it's it's interesting. I, again, a question to write down for when we eventually talk to a wardrobe person, because I would love to know what's up. Because there's not necessarily domestic violence in taboo. I mean, incest. Yeah, I don't know if incest has its own color or not. <laughs> Also, someone suggested we do merch that says I'm a product of incest. And it's like, you, you can't do that. Are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Like they want because you go incest, incest, a product of incest. And they're like, put that on a shirt. It's like, we won't be actually. Yeah. You go get coffee and someone gets triggered for life because they have had to experience incest. And you're just like, incest, baby. And like someone at Starbucks starts crying. Like, we can't do that. Oh, my God. <laughs> But I'm still laughing about the color of incest. It's like, please wear chartreuse today for incest. <laughs> By the way, we are speaking only of quote unquote consensual incest, not incest that involves sexual assault. Like, yeah, of course, we're not making fun of that. But oh, my God, Lisa, that just really there are tears <laughs> in my eyes. Oh, my gosh. OK, should we move on um, today on our what would Sister Peg do segment where we uh, give you guys an organization, a website, an article, a book, something to help give you more context and information about a topic that we touched on in today's episode. And today we have chosen an organization called Women for Women International. The website is womenforwomen.org. And there is a specific longer uh URL that goes to a, a whole section about the Congo, but you can just click on the Congo when you get to the website. Um, they have developed programs that offer women in Eastern DRC a constructive and dignified way to regain control of their lives. And they give women the tools to know and defend their rights, influence decisions at home and in their communities, generate income, save money for the future, etc. And so I think that they are doing um, a small part to help the women in that region. So if you want to learn more or help donate, you can head to womenforwomen.org. And next week, we'll be covering the episode Scavenger, season Ooh. six, episode four. So. I'm excited. I love that episode. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much. Keep messaging us, emailing us, um, being so awesome. And uh, yeah, next week is another app. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. 
As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to SVU Superfan and our incredible producer, Hannah Kyle Creighton. And to our sound engineer and personal hero, Annalise Nelson. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. To Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thanks to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. Dun, dun. dun. <laughs>